The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, Episode 6. Janet West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we got to do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Indeed. You say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous. But this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. There's never a bit going home. It's a bit getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, series, and more. Joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. How's it going, Jack? Going well. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. All right. Today we are discussing the sixth episode of the first season of Stargate SG-1, called The First Commandment. We open with two members of SG-9, uh, Lawrence Connor and Lieutenant Thomas Frakes, who I wonder is if that is a reference to uh, Thomas uh, Riker and Jonathan Frakes. Um, they're being chased through a forest by the natives of the planet. Frakes is killed and Connor is captured. SG-1 is sent through the Stargate to find SG-9. They find Lieutenant Terrence, who tells them that uh, Captain Jonas Hansen, who happens to be Samantha Carter's former fiancé, has set himself up as a god to the natives of the planet and is forcing them to build a temple to honor him. They plan on taking Jonas captive, but Samantha, after seeing a native being brutally beaten by one of SG-9 soldiers, goes and confronts Jonas, who tells her that he is the people's god. They discover an ancient gold device designed to keep out the planet's harmful radiation that Jonas is planning to use to cement the people's belief in him as a god. Jack and Teal'c are captured. Jonas plans to execute Jack and Connor by sending them back through the Stargate without sending a signal to open the iris, but Teal'c and Daniel are able to activate the second device in the pair necessary to create the force field that will keep out the sun's harmful radiation. After Daniel proves this, the people of the planet turn on Jonas and they throw him through the iris. And yeah, splat. <laughs> splat. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So starting at the ending there, this is, have we established yet in the continuity of the show that like every member of SG-1 has a GDO which transmits the radio codes to open the iris? Don't know if we have yet or not. I don't think we have yet. I think it's, I think it's always been, there's always been one member of the team that has one. Gotcha. So it's not canon that Dr. Jackson has one of these and could have at any time opened the iris to keep uh, Jonas from going splat on the other side. Pretty I'm, much. I'm just wondering because I'm putting together yeah. a, a list um, of like 10 times that Dr. Jackson was a sociopath. And already, <laughs> already yeah, over the last already. two episodes, I think we're, 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 we're approaching 10. Two episodes? Yeah. Two episodes? I was going to say uh, Emancipation had a couple of points, too. Yeah. Yeah. Last week he was not doing too hot either. No. Yeah. He gets, he gets better. And, uh, with this episode, uh, <laughs> the show gets better over last week as well. Um, Oh, definitely. I really liked this episode. And I guess that might also just be grading on a curve based on the previous two. But I did like how it immediately felt like they were going for an Apocalypse Now kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. Like you got them jumping into the forest. They got like the headbands on and everything. And then Jonas is essentially the Marlon Brando character from Apocalypse Now with his delusions of grandeur. Well, it's interesting that, of course, the SG teams, their job is to fight the Gaul who set themselves up as false gods because of their ego. And what does this guy do? 
He sets right. himself up as a god because of his ego. Yeah, they they almost could have called this episode "Stargate into Darkness" because of the uh, obvious reference to Heart Heart of Darkness and uh, of course yeah. Apocalypse Now. But um, yeah, so that I mean, a lot of interesting stuff in this episode. It was Robert C. Cooper's first episode uh, as a writer, and I, he wasn't on the staff as a writer. I think he wrote this I don't know on spec or something. But they liked it and hired him on after this, and he eventually became showrunner of this, and then uh, Atlantis and SGU. So um, you can definitely see his fingerprints on his this episode even early on. There's there's a lot of really good situational humor. The quality of the writing's pretty good. Um, the humor's not just quippy. It's more, you know, there's actually some some funny uh, comedic moments uh, in it as well. I really like that part where uh, um, Jack tells Teal to smile. Yeah. <laughs> he, <laughs> he just like bears, bears his, teeth. his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, right at right at when uh, SG one went in through the uh, came out through the gate, and they mentioned about how the the forest looks familiar. And I even wrote down like this, that first scene. So I, because I, I was gone last week, so I watched Broken Divide and this one back to back. It's mm-hmm. like, boy, this looks like the same exact forest, the same exact place where Broken Divide was filmed. And sure enough, as they come out, it's wow, they must like the same kind of planets. Well, they they terraformed them all basically the same. They said the Gwauld. I think we know later right. it's the Ancients is what they say. Is what it ends up being, but it's like they all terraform them all the same exact way. Gee, wonder why they all happen to look like British Columbia. Oh yeah, because they are. <laughs> right. It is funny that they they kind of just g- jump right out and just hang a lantern on that. Like we know everything looks the same. We can work that into the story. And uh, Robert C. Cooper, incidentally, is the is the writer who gave us the Ancients. That wasn't uh, in the show mm. Bible until he he wrote it. And there is some oh, speculation nice. online that the um, orange bubble machines are of ancient design, although that's. You know, just head cannon. Well, I think. I think there's there's a lot of the idea that the Gwauls aren't just parasites as far as taking over human beings, but also that they don't produce their own technology. All the technology they have came from the ancients, because of course we think that you know for quite a while we think that the Stargates actually were developed by the Gwauld, but they weren't. They were ancient technology that was stolen by the Gwauld and or repurposed by the Gwauld would be a better way to put it. And so it, it makes sense that a lot of the other technology that we will see later will end up being Gwauld acquired ancient technology. Yeah, just kind of, even with the fact that the cultures they adopt are all based off of human mythology, they don't really seem to be a species that creates anything of their own. They just kind of take parts from everything else and absorb it and twist it to their own purpose. Oh, there's a lot I like in this episode. Um, We get to see Roger Cross as uh, Mm -hmm. either Lieutenant Connor or Captain Connor. I think he is a captain. Yeah. Um, And he's a a great actor from, you know, all the shows that I like, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Continuum, Dark Matter, uh, Arrow, Eureka. He's been on pretty much them all. So it was kind of cool to see him. uh, 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 you know, earlier on in his career. Yeah, I recognized him from the X-Files. I think he plays like three or four different characters in that show over the course of its run. Yeah, Yeah, he was also in 24, had a couple of major roles in 24 too, as well. Yeah, and then we get uh, Jonas Hansen, Samantha Carter's ex-fiance, who is also a psychopath. So Unnecessary to make, make, I mean, it's completely unnecessary to make him her ex-fiance. I mean, this short, I mean, yeah, it's a level of, yeah, they haven't really figured out what they're doing with uh, Captain Carter yet. I think, yeah, it has an issue with, I feel like they felt like they had to relate her back to the male characters in the story rather than just having her stand on her own at this point. And so I guess that's why they did that. But you could have told the exact same story without them having that connection because other than him just being kind of vaguely creepy it doesn't really come up and it is it is kind of frustrating because she is a strong character and they do very much develop her character much more strongly much better uh but 
she's supposed to be this strong, you know, fighter jock, you know, karate master, you know, weapons master, goes weak-kneed when trying to kill off the guy who's trying to be the false god. Right. So, yeah, she confronts him after, uh, so she goes, they're, they're planning on some way to rescue Connor from Jonas because Connor's been captured in the night and they're planning this out and she sees a, one of the natives of the planet getting brutally beaten by one of the members of SG-9. So she goes and stops it knowing she's, yes, (laughs) knowing she's going to be captured and he, they bring her to him and he does his whole you know, pompous monologuing supervillain speech about how he's the chosen one and he's going to guide these people. And then she has the opportunity to shoot him. And they do that thing they do almost every single time you get a scene like this where he's like, do it, do it. And then he just takes the gun out of her hand and she doesn't do it. There's only one time I can think of in a show where they play that kind of scene and they actually have the character go through and shoot Mm -hmm. the person it's in Battlestar Galactica, that episode with the crime scene underground where mm-hmm. Leah Dama ends up shooting the mafia boss. But I, I, yeah, I can, think it, I can remember other scenes where they've, they've done that. And, you know, of course, it was played out. It was supposed to it was it was the twist on, you know, on this where, oh, you're not going to do it. You don't have the guts. Boom. Um, but those are those are pretty rare because that, that's that is very much a, a Hollywood trope of you don't have the guts to look me in the eyes and shoot me. And I, I get obviously shooting someone is not a good thing and not to be taken lightly. But when that person holds your life and the lives of your team members and then all these people on the planet in your hands, you could at least just shoot them in the leg or something. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, I don't know. There's, that, that's kind of a big debate right now. Oh, about yeah. Whether or not you should shoot in the leg because it's got a lot of lot of uh, vital areas there that you can bleed out very easily. But that that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother. But it, there's, there are ways that you could do it. I mean, frankly, you just don't use a gun. You find, you know, hand to hand or something again. You know, so you're supposed to be trained in like hand to hand and all that kind of stuff. Which, which, again, the Air Force generally isn't. If you're not special forces, you're generally not trained in that kind of stuff. But hmm. that's another story. Because they even have that later on the episode. I think she like karate kicks the gun out of someone's hand. So yes. they, I feel like they played too heavily on her mixed emotions. Yeah, that whole like I was the wounded bird you couldn't heal type thing I think was a little uh, overplayed. I did find myself um, sympathizing a little bit with Jonas uh, in this episode. Um you know, they, we haven't mentioned it, but there is a uh, extreme radiation, solar radiation on this planet, which makes staying out in the sun for more than a little while, you know, potentially deadly. And um, when SG-9 uh, appears on this planet, the, the civilization's basically heading for a collapse. You know, there's, you know, not enough resources people are living in, you know, limited, you know, cave space. And uh, he didn't know, obviously, about the uh, Gould slash ancient device when, when they arrived, but... Now it's his plan to to turn it on and and give them a shot at, uh, you know, survival and building their civilization, although the way he goes about it is is, you know, all wrong. But you do you do you do sympathize with him that he is creating a great people. (laughs) He's just nuts. (laughs) He's nuts. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the religious language in this episode, too, is is spread on a little thick. It's like, you know, Stephen King character or something. I appreciated his scenery chewing. I always like it when an actor takes a, a role like that and just completely goes mm-hmm. with it. That was fun. But I did. I agree. I felt like the religious like they were trying to do some sort of religious parallels. Like at some one point, Daniel brings up the story of Isaac and uh, mm-hmm. Abraham and completely misexplains it. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and then, to the point of Abraham was the father of all the people. And it's like, yeah. no, he was the father of the Israelite nation. 
that's a subset of all the people. Yeah, the religious language in this is a lot like, you know, when you're watching a a thriller movie and someone's uh, like, oh, no, they're hacking the mainframe. Let's throw up another firewall, you know, to a technical mm-hmm. person that makes you cringe and to, you know, the religious level was very I, much on that level of writing religious i did topic. like i did like jack in the uh the it's somewhere in here i think it's the first commandment you shall have no gods before me um no i meant the one about don't kill yeah that <laughs> oh, was yeah. that was it, it did redeem the episode there uh yeah lots of lots of uh good humorous moments in this one as well uh but it, yeah but the, you know the fact that they pulled a lot of bible quotes and i mean i didn't go back and look them up or anything like that but i, I I'm, I'm sure obviously they're way out of context to begin with but then they were to to fit you know crazy characters delusion but at the same time i really wonder how many of them were actually you know legitimately quoted bible quotes and not just spliced together let's take a little of this and a little of that and call it good well no one's ever done that before in real life either so no not at all <laughs> you know very c.s lewis uh you know his uh, jonas's quote near the end um you know where, where he's justifying his actions all along i've been looking for god and here i am which is pretty much the age of enlightenment uh, in a nutshell there you know modern man is yeah looking for god and and uh you know finds uh, only finds himself it did actually make me think of uh I would like to see a stargate show or something similar about missionaries going through the stargates and evangelizing people. That'd be mm. cool. You get that on Bab- on Babylon 5, but uh, not necessarily oh, yeah, here. Yeah. That, is, that is kind of the, the tough part, of course, is that a lot of these, most of these science fiction shows, of course, are very secular. Even when they mm-hmm. do bring up religion, they do it from a position where they don't understand it well. Because I, you know, obviously, I doubt Stargate had a, uh, you know, a minister or a, a priest or somebody like that on staff for this episode to try to say, "Here's how somebody who's Christian would go off the deep end and think they're God." You right. know, I, I strongly doubt they had something like that, and that that does make it tough because you know, I, I often wonder where a lot of these science fiction series and, and Stargate wasn't quite so bad compared to some as far as being secular, uh, especially some we have today where it's almost like religion is a joke. In Babylon 5 was a great one, actually, despite being written by an avowed militant atheist. He really was, you know, very uh, sympathetic to portraying religion in a good way. Yeah, they have the monks that go live on the space station at one point in that show. That or I feel like Firefly does something more interesting with Mm -hmm. a religious character where he's not just a one dimensional, you know, Bible thumper. Um, And it felt like the religious stuff was almost they just took it and they're like, all right, he's got delusions of grandeur. So therefore, he's going to carry around a Bible and quote it, but then Mm -hmm. very clearly not really actually care about it or understand it. And I don't think they I think if they were going to do it that way, they should have shown him being more cynical about it because they didn't really establish that firmly that he was just using it as a means to his own end rather than if he actually believed it or not. Kind of got the feeling they tried to portray him as like he had been a Christian of some sort. And the reason why he had the Bible in the first place, because he was trying to figure it out, if you will. And then, Mm -hmm. then of course he goes out the deep end and immediately says, Oh, this is really about me. No, definitely. Um, and I feel like they, they took the subplot between him and Samantha, and that kind of became the main focus of his character arc, was their relationship to each other and him being damaged and her having this need to help damaged people or fix damaged people rather than exploring his megalomania more. They also I also found it interesting, um, and of course this is just down to you know the cost of production and stuff, but you have this planet that has horrible radiation that causes your skin to burn, but... All that greenery looks completely fine. And then uh, the people, they seem very uh, 
haphazard with how they're covering up. Like they're not completely covering up and some people are just walking mm-hmm. around perfectly fine. Like Teal'c's got his bald head out there. No issues at all. <laughs> well, we know the symbiote protects Teal'c, so. Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, I didn't. I'm not a big fan of the Cyberman designs in this one. Those uh, those helmets that the people were wearing oh. that looked like the original Mondas uh, Cybermen. Yeah, actually, I, yeah. yeah kind of, kind of the the kind of clay, clay. See, I thought they were more like more like a, a like Incan or Aztec type masks. You know, yeah. they're yeah. meant to be very primitive. You know, something that is a cover, but it's not. Although we only see it at the beginning, and then we don't see them again. I mean, we see them at first, and then. They did. They never. They never show up again in the rest of the episode. Yeah, and I can't remember. They hung a lantern too on the fact that the plant life survived. There's something about that particular plant life that could that could handle the UV light. Yeah. better than the people could. But again, right. that was just another one of those. Let, let's kind of let's kind of hang, hang a lantern on that. And like, yeah, whatever. There's trees. Fine, whatever. We're not going to be around the trees, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. She mentions at the beginning, Samantha mentions that she does not hear any birds singing. I liked the visual um, at the end when Jonas is going to throw uh, Jack and Connor through the Stargate, it lying down like that, having mm-hmm. the swoosh come up vertically. Yeah. That was that was cool to see. Not to, I don't know if this was, this is probably an obvious parallel here, but, you know, at the end, the, the savior of the people is, you know, killed by the people he's saving, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But throw them in. Yep. Lots of like like I mentioned, lots of great humor in there. We even get some MRE humor, you know, where it's uh this oh, yes. tastes like chicken. You know, what's the problem with that? It's macaroni and cheese. Um, well, you know you know MRE, meals ready to eat, that's three lies in one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. You know, the, the the funny part is there are certain MREs, as I understand it, I've only had a couple like ever, that are actually pretty good. Like the the actual food that's in them, but of course they're designed to be shelf stable for years and there's designed to give you like one meal a day to give you enough nutrition to survive that day but you're not going to be happy about it oh, you know yeah. so they're 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 not high cuisine by any stretch of the imagination but every once in a while you hear of, well yeah this particular one is actually pretty good you know or that particular one is actually worth if you can you know and of course they open up a box and they just throw it down there okay you guys get your food and uh yeah you get to pick through if you're lucky if not they just start handing out you get whichever random one you want and you start trading entrees (laughs) it's like school (laughs) yeah we had some uh when i was in boy scouts we got some one time for a hike we were doing Mm -hmm. i always liked that self-heating bag they had in there i thought that was in air force the only time we absolutely had to do it was at basic training we did one day, which was the, the um, they call it the confidence course, but it's, it's an obstacle course. Like you can mm-hmm. think of, you know, swing on the ropes and climb over the, the walls and stuff like that. And we'd had to do for our lunch, we did an MRE. And so then they did that where they just brought out the boxes and started passing them out. Um, Talk about confidence. Bad. I got, yeah. 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 But it's just, and, and again, it was, you know, Air Force is not trained for a lot of these you know type of missions so at least you're going to experience what an emory is like you might never eat one again officially in the air force but at least you got one so so air force training doesn't cover blow darts or blow guns because uh jack seemed pretty handy with one uh yeah i know when they're rescuing believe me same thing with any kind of weapons because unless you're special forces you really don't learn how to you know fire any kind of firearm so i mean you, you get some but not to that you know not to the level that, that's always been the joke about uh you know air force versus the other branches doing stargate like again broke a divide where you had the the marines there and it's like yeah the, the marines probably are the ones who should have been going in there with the heavy artillery not the air force <laughs> oh and we learned teal has a has a skill here too not uh um he, he can draw 
uh, when he shows oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the drawing of the valley to Jamala. It's a, you know, good drawing. Thank you. You know, another one of yeah. those nice yeah, uh, the, grace notes. Yeah, it was a good one. It's the simplistic stick drawing and he appreciates it. I also thought it was interesting that when Samantha is trying to troubleshoot the device, the force field device, she's got the from Earth multimeter and she's yeah. poking it. I'm like, well, it's it's a good thing that this thing runs on electricity and also the same voltages that we can pick up with our multimeters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good old good old fluke multimeter that anybody yeah. who's ever done electric electric work knows that bright yellow multimeter. And she's learned enough. Well, she figured it out that it runs on the same. Same principle as the uh, Stargate, so she figured out she should be okay. So we haven't gotten the uh, multicolored crystals that you pull out of the drawer and um, reorder to make. Yeah, (laughs) hook your laptop off to you know reorder them to make it do whatever you want. (laughs) Nice. They definitely get a lot more complex with with how the uh, how everything's hooked together and uh, how it all runs and everything. They definitely develop a lot of that soon actually not that far out before we start getting a lot more of the more techie details of stargates yeah. and stuff like that torment mm. torment of tantalus coming up very soon mm. there's a lot of that yep nice yeah i think this one also just did a good job developing the characters giving them different things to do i feel like daniel jackson really got the short end of the stick with this episode though still with uh in terms of things to do and character development he was just kind of there i, I you know i do get kind of the feeling that at the beginning they really didn't know what because i yeah. mean the only reason why he was there was to find his wife and so he was just kind of taking along for you know whatever reason as part of it but they really didn't develop that character to the level of um, and not that they do eventually. And and part of that might have been Michael Shanks just uncomfortableness of having to emulate James Spader because he really felt like he had to be the same character instead mm-hmm. of developing the character, as we've talked about before. So um, I did like uh, where the three of them are up there and, and Jack's off scouting out and she decides she's going to go and they're they're trying to stop her. And of course, she takes off. Daniel turns to Till because we really was these guys. We should have stopped her. We would have failed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, Richard Dean Anderson definitely took the character of Jack O'Neill and made it his own right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And even just thinking about um, how he is in the movie uh, with Kurt Russell, I don't think I could go back and watch the movie and view it the same way now. No, because Richard Dean Anderson really is that character. Does it say Colonel somewhere <laughs> in my uniform? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, of course, the most relatable character for me in, in this episode is Frakes. Right at the beginning, he uh, he drops the remote, which um, as someone who frequently drops you know remote controls and stuff, I uh, I find that very relatable. Yeah. I don't wind up shot and burned for it, but yeah, exactly. Not yet. But... Not yet. <laughs> 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 Depends on how mad you make the rest of the family <laughs> yeah. for doing it. This is why they have the wrist strap on the Wii remote. Yes, they saw this yeah. episode and decided, hey, we don't want that to happen. Well, actually, yeah. Well, you know the reason why they got the wrist strap on the Wii remote because people threw it through their TVs. But yeah. <laughs> it wasn't this episode. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just watching this makes me, uh, and I don't know if they. I'm sure that some stuff like this will come up later on, but I just want to know what happens if you like try to put two Stargates together or stick Stargate through a Stargate and different things like that. Just wondering what would happen. I can't remember if they did something like that. There, there was some stuff with Stargates and looping and things like that, but yeah, I don't remember if they ever did anything like a uh, point a Stargate at another Stargate and see what it does. They, yeah, they did some of that with um, like a Stargate and one of the Ori super gates to, you know, mm. keep it, like dial out and key, like create a blast or something to keep it engaged or something. And, Oh, that's right. And, um, you know, the whole gate bridge to 
where you know they overrode well we'll get to that and stuff that's but, a little yeah. different that's, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. In Atlantis, that's a little different but the idea yeah i forgot about the ori so the ori is like season nine season ten yes okay. towards the very end of the series and they have super gates where it's actually like these massive space-based gates that people that they can fly ships through they're really cool Oh, nice that's pretty awesome i'm looking forward to that um yeah i've been uh going around on the stargate wiki and just reading about all the lore and the tech and uh i like the design of the gold ships a lot um yeah the pyramid shape and at, at my church they're actually building a columbarium outside the church where they can put the ashes <laughs> of people's urns and it it looks like a gold ship mm-hmm. it's a big golden pyramid thing with like these black like ridges coming off the side and right, so I, every time i drive past that now i'm like oh there's the gold ship at church <laughs> I, I don't know is your your priest pastor's eyes glowed when you made him mad mm, i'll have to check yeah <laughs> <laughs> the deacon does have this weird thing on his forehead so oh, yeah wow. there you go <laughs> weird gold symbol <laughs> yeah so uh father Corey, did you have anything else to add um i thought there was something here uh, one thing I got a kick out of um, that, you know, of course, they're in a quarry, a rock quarry. And I immediately wrote down, I didn't think this was Doctor Who. If you ever watched if for those who haven't watched Doctor Who, uh, especially back in the old classic Who, they loved to use rock quarries, generally gravel quarries to film like any kind of alien planet was always a gravel quarry because it was cheapest for the BBC to go do it in spot. But it, you could you could find different angles to make it look very alien and mm-hmm. of course color color stuff and like things like that. And then speaking of, you know, reusing footage or using the same uh, area, you know, there's a scene where Teal blasts the staff into the tree. It was the same exact scene from Broca Divide. The same uh, exact staff blast. Oh, oh nice. They just okay. reused the same footage of the tree exploding from the staff. I did notice also how they neatly sidestepped having to film any sort of special effects for the end by having them all go through the gate while you're seeing it from the point of view of the yep. people on the planet. So all they had to do was like put some shimmering lights on them and there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Towards, yeah. as you get further on in the show, there's fewer and fewer scenes of them actually stepping through the gate. You know, you'll, you'll see them like mm-hmm. walk towards the ramp and then suddenly they're on the planet just because, you know, of the cost of, you know, the lighting and stuff and, and the effects whenever you turn on the gate. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they, they'll, they'll do the, it's easy to do the little flickering lights from off camera. And so you'll, you'll see the flickering lights and then you hear the, the, sound of them stepping through and that'll be it you won't right. even see like the less and less you'll see the little uh wormhole travel scene where they're flying through the stars and all that eventually they just stop doing that oh yeah nice <laughs> it's pretty quick actually <laughs> yeah i don't even think they I don't, I don't remember if they used it in this episode or not no i don't no, remember yeah. seeing it either no what about you victor um yeah no I, th- I think it's a it's a good solid episode um you know i think some of the writing was a little clunky but uh, you know, brought Robert C. Cooper into the into the show, and uh, you know, great things happened uh, as a result of that, for sure. Uh, Jack, did you want to mention that there's some some Stargate news actually this past week as well? Oh yeah, that is right. Um, yeah, they have a there's apparently a talks going on for a Stargate revival. I know Amanda Tapping has mentioned that she has been approached for that, and I think Michael Shanks actually a couple months ago said the same thing that he's been in yeah. talks too. So it looks like something might be happening. With Will be good for us. We'll have more and more to talk about. There's also rumors that Christopher Judge and Richard Dean Anderson are both on board, even a, like in a small part, if not as regular. So we don't know if this is going to be. We don't know anything about this. This is uh, all rumors, rumors, and some, with some confirmation that something is in the works. A Stargate series taking up from where it's left off. It's not a reboot. Um, is in the works. You know, it's not going to be SG One Part Two. You know, it's not going to be anything like that. It, it's probably, but. 
I have a feeling at a minimum the characters from SG-1 will be showing up. It'll probably be a new team or something. Right, at least as like a handoff kind of thing. Yeah, maybe they'll do uh, where the Stargate is known by the world, and now they've got the Stargate terminal. There's a episode where it's future. What year? Do you remember, Victor, what year that was? It was, it was all the way in the far-off year of 2010. Yeah. <laughs> nice. you know, aliens come to Earth, and, and Stargate is yeah. revealed to the world, and now now you've got like an actual... It looks like an airport terminal where people can jump in the gates instead of being underground. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe that's what it'll be. It'll be that in the future that Stargates are known and people are traveling from planet to planet openly. Stargate tourism. There you go. I'd, I'd sign up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Stargate, including Jeremiah N., Irnunez R., Paul O., David M., and Michael V., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secret of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash stargate. You can email us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter at SQPN. You can also join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 6686. Send StarQuest to 6686. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1, Cold Lazarus. Until then, Father Corey, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Stargate. Thanks, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Jack. Now I'm off to see the wizard. <laughs> and once again, I'm Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? <laughs>